welcome to episode 80 of the Animal Addicts podcast. Once again, sorry for the delay. The technical issues have finally been fixed. On today's episode, Casey talks about a creative way that conservationists are protecting birds off of Portugal. And I talk about another adorable dog breed. We discuss two cool places for our picks this week and learn about our Animal of the Week, which you probably have heard of before. Episode 80 of the Animal Addicts podcast starts right now. Hello and welcome to episode 80 of the Animal Addicts podcast again. Um, as always, we're your host Allie. And Casey. And today we're going to talk about a whole new batch of exciting animals. Um, and first, before we catch up, um, we do apologize. Uh, life has been a bit crazy here, and this is delayed. And um, we did record this, and it was terrible, and we have to now re-record this. So this is our second time doing this episode, so yay. Anyway, good news is it's been a few weeks, so it'll be and like And I'm caffeinated. Great. <laughs> so, Casey, what have you been up to since last time I saw you? Sort of, kind of. <laughs> well, for starters, yeah, I got a cute axolotl shirt. You did, and it's cute. I like his little face, like his smile. So cute. Is cute. Yeah. My my older sister wants an axolotl. I keep telling her she can't have one in California. They're really cute. Yes, they are. Can you get a permit to get one? No. Oh, okay. Like you would have to be like a wildlife education center or zoolog- other zoological facility to oh, have okay. them. Okay. But. In other news, I have updates on my plants. Okay. And updates on the updates that we talked about last time. Great. Yes. Things have changed. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So the fly trap is alive. Okay. And well, All right. it has a new trap growing and it's caught something, but I was away when it caught something. Okay. But yeah, so it's- Do you watch it catch things? Sometimes I stumble of when I'm out watering, I see it catch it, mm-hmm. but that's very rare. Okay. And I also have some three other carnivorous plants- uh, two sundews, and those are the ones that have these very long, thin leaves, and there's dew drops all over them. And the dew is what gets the insects stuck, and then over time it will curl and release digestive enzymes. Ew, so they're alive and they get digested alive, basically? No, they probably die from the goo, goo first. Oh, that's good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I have one indoor. Um, that one is doing very well. <laughs> and. Good. Uh, it has a flower growing, but I think it's going to get smothered again because <laughs> it had a previous flower growth, okay. but then new leaves smothered that one, and it looks like that is happening again. Oh, dear. But it got a lot n- more leaves since I last, because um, I was away for a few days, mm-hmm. um, and it catches the flies that are in my bedroom, which makes me happy. That part's nice. Yes, it is. Uh, but every few weeks, I'll give it like a piece of dried mealworm to feed it. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it's in its little kind of semi-automated uh, planter where I can see where the water level's at, and I, cha- I add water like once a week. That's nice. Yeah, and the light adjusts with it as it grows. Do you think I could keep a plant alive if I use one of those? Probably. Hmm. We should try. We should yeah. try as an experiment. Season three. We're going to try as an experiment. Allie <laughs> tries to keep a plant alive. How much are those automatic water things? Because I have no money right now. Forty. I think. No, maybe not. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyway, continue. Yeah. It was a successful Kickstarter. Um, okay. And they've got something else they're starting now. 
But anyways, um, the other plant I have is called a American pitcher plant. So basically, it looks like a pitcher. It doesn't close itself. Uh, basically, what happens is an insect crawls towards the opening, which is at the top. And around the leaf in the opening, it's slippery. And when s insects get too far in, they fall. Okay, wait. A pitcher, like a pitcher of like, like lemonade? Yeah. Or like a picture? No, frame. like a lemonade. Okay, okay. I was very confused. I was like, that doesn't sound like a picture at all. But okay, a pitcher. Okay. Yeah, pitcher. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. I've never seen it catch anything. I'm assuming it does. <laughs> Every now and then, I give it a dead mealworm. Okay. But yeah. But eventually, I'm going to have to transplant them into a bigger pot because they are getting big. Okay. And I, there's currently a deal on this website where it's uh, buy two, get one free on their sundews. I'm probably going to get it. <laughs> and get more of these? Yes. Oh my and gosh, then I have my own addiction. little carnivorous bog garden in a pot. I'm oh my very gosh. happy. All the flies will tell the other flies, avoid the terrifying. <laughs> Those are the badlands over there. Yep. They're really cool. I love them. <laughs> I love. I was never a plant person, but these bring me joy. I would be a plant person if I could, could not kill them. <laughs> I'm surprised you killed the succulent. I know. I killed an air plant. <laughs> it's like impossible to kill, and I killed it. Oh, my god! I did have a philodendron for the longest time because mm -hmm. our family friend, who is very into plants and keeps all plants alive, was like, you can't kill this. And I'm like, I want to bet. And it lived. <laughs> It lived, I think it's at my parents' house. I don't know if it's still alive, but it was at my parents' house for a while. But I just, I can't keep them alive. I kill all plants. I would love to have plants. They're so nice to have, but I kill them all. Yeah. Oh, and my, um, my sundew that's outside, mm -hmm. um, it's almost fully bloomed and it has pretty purple flowers. That's pretty. Yes. And what's cool about them is, I'm pretty sure this is probably with all carnivorous plants, I would bet, but they have very tall flowers significantly taller than the leaves so they don't catch the pollinators oh yeah i guess you would need that yep that would suck mm -hmm. all right well there you go that's how plants have to um sustainably store source their stuff um all right well i didn't have a lot to talk about i was just apologizing for first of all everything was delayed when we first recorded this like two or three weeks ago um and now obviously it's delayed more because we're having technical issues and i'm not rich and i can't afford to buy new things and then the backup solution that i thought i would have was not a solution so um we finally got things working so sound should be better now and also my personal life is just a shit show so it's just been a disaster left and right um there you go and now this happened forever ago but what i was going to talk about is that i went to the women's march <laughs> Which I think was like a solid month ago now. Yeah. Um, and I saw some doggies there, and it was nice. So, and I got to pet one, and he was really cute because you're like listening to the speakers, which was not set up very well. Um, but anyway, uh, so you're listening to them, and the dog's like sitting there, and obviously just got tired, and it's like I'm just laying down at this point, so I had to be careful like not step on him or, or like hit him with a sign. Also, with a thing like Women's March and like Planned Parenthood and all those groups being there. You don't have to bring your own sign, man. I stayed up making a sign <laughs> the night before, and I was up late. Also, I made a sign that, like, only musical theater people will really get, but whatever. It's fine. Um, and anyway, but they had them, and they were, like, cute, so I still have some in my trunk. Oh. So, yeah, if you want. I remember uh, a critique I saw online when I did the science march yeah. a few years ago was that if you're a STEM major, 
you will get the jokes and it's clever and funny, but a lot of them doesn't make sense to the common person. Right. That's how a lot of things are, though. Yeah. Well, the thing I did was already like a sentiment that they say constantly mm-hmm. with this kind of movement, but mine's just a musical theater vibe yeah. way of it that only people who know ragtime will get. And of course, none of my friends went with me and nobody got it. So <laughs> it was a, it was an interesting situation. Also, it was sketch because um well it wasn't promoted very well first of all but um none of my friends could go so i wound up going alone which isn't the end of the world except for when you're walking you have to park far away from the event so then you're walking and it's not like you can kind of blend in because you have a sign (laughs) (laughs) so i'm like oh god i'm gonna get like harassed by somebody luckily Mm -hmm. i saw like after like i walked like a block or two i saw a couple and i was like okay i'm gonna run up like be with them it's like just being a woman in general in life you never want to be walking alone anyway so i'm always like find a couple find a family and like walk next to them that's me if ever i go hiking alone so i was like okay there's a couple here something i can do i know they're going do what hike alone no, we were not like, supposed to do it anyway. I know. It's just that's... a safety issue in general because if you get bit by a snake, like, you know, mm-hmm. or whatever, you break your ankle, like, yeah. you're not supposed to do it alone anyway. People argue all the time about this. I'm like, I get it. I get the getting away from, like, nature. That's just the risk you're taking, though, is that you might die. Yeah. But, One of my know. friends was almost planning on going to Yellowstone alone with just her dogs. Oh, yeah, no, that I would not do. Yeah, no. Dogs I'd feel better about, but they still can't go get help. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you're... And I know our dogs is like, they ain't no help. Yeah, I know. A lot of dogs, you're going to probably have to bail them out of something and also, like, they're not going to... I mean, some dogs are smart and they will go get help, but, mm-hmm. like, not very likely. Anyway. And then there was a story a while back and the dog hurt his foot and it was, like, a freaking, like... Oh, it's not a massive, but it was a big ass dog, and the rescue team had to go up and get that like cart thing, and like not the cart, but it has like a wheel and it's like a stretcher. Yeah, I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and they had to haul this massive dog down the, the and the owner was like staying with the dog because he didn't want to leave it. So luckily, some other passerby saw it and then went down and told them they had to go up with the search and rescue team and haul oh, this dog out because it hurt gosh. its foot. Anyway, I digress. But anyway, so it was a little scary like going on my own like at first, and I like jumped in with them, and then after. Also, it was my first time doing anything big like that since I've been, like, dealing with this disaster. So, and also it was very hot in downtown San Diego, which, it was in the 80s, which is pretty hot for, I mean, it's not full July hot, but, like, it's mm-hmm. pretty hot in San Diego. Usually San Diego tops out around the 90s in the yeah. actual downtown area. So, that's Comic-Con time. <laughs> good times. Anyway. Um, but, yeah, but it was, yeah, so anyway, good to know, though. If it's actually organized like that, they had their own signs, and some of them were really nice. So I have them in my trunk. If you ever need to take part in that, I now have some signs for that. And I also have the one I made that nobody will get, but that's fine. <laughs> so, but there were doggies there. And then there was one little dog, and I didn't get to see what it said. I was trying to also get pictures because some people had, like, smart, mm-hmm. you know, signs and stuff. But there was one little dog, and it said, like, keep your paws off my rights or something like that. Yeah. But mm-hmm. anyway, so there were a few dogs, and they were all very well-behaved. I was a little concerned about their feet, though, because it was pretty yeah. hot, and we were on the, like, you know, pavement on the street, so. Anyway, so, there we go. Yeah, also, I love how, in the beginning, we were like, we will not involve politics at all, and by this time, you know what, If you, you should just figure out where we stand on most things. Yes. <laughs> so, I don't care. It's a thing. If you don't like it, fine. Move on. We're opinionated. Yep. As you should be. Also, we need to be. Cause also, I see we've recorded this so much later that already the primary election is. Oh happened. yeah, the prim- Yeah. <laughs> and I think it had a bad turnout. Oh my gosh, it I had a bad turnout. I didn't, didn't look it? up the turnout. I was just focusing on like some of the results I could tell. Yeah. And I was getting pissed off because nobody pays attention to local elections. So like, 
a bunch of local elections, especially city elections, yeah. that if uh, in the primary someone gets over 50%, then there's no general election, which uh, pisses me off yeah, yeah, because like there's usually much lower turnout in primaries. Yeah, that is annoying. Mm-hmm. I didn't even actually, I just realized no, I didn't actually check and see how because... everyone I voted on how it went because it's the primary, so like. Mm-hmm. I think people just don't realize it really affects you more in your local elections. Oh, yeah. So, you so few have people pay to attention those. to local elections. But they are also harder to get information mm-hmm. on. And then also, like, when you get statements from people and I'm like, all right, yeah. <laughs> you're full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, all right. That's why I want to be like, that's why I like Planned Parenthood. Again, mm-hmm. BT dubs, y'all. If you're trying to look up your elections, first of all, they were not as helpful in the primaries, I will say. They did say who they endorsed, but mm-hmm. in the um, general election... They were actually my number one source for going through because you would just type in, like, basically your zip code or whatever it was, and they would go down the ballot. They didn't have everybody, obviously, but they would go down the ballot. They would say, like, how they voted on at least, like, women's rights and, like, sometimes other stuff, too, but, like, I'm like, you were my number one source. And then I basically just cross-sourced, and I was like, if Planned Parenthood and Sierra Club and the Nurses Union and the Teachers (laughs) Union and these people all support them, I'm probably going with you. So... So now I think like Planned Parenthood is like the first place I go, which obviously at this point now it fucking is because yeah. shit's going down. But uh, it didn't used to be. They didn't used to be a number one, but they are. I will say, just in general for voting, I think they are the most helpful resource. Personally, do you have a better resource? I used to use on the issues, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think it's updated anymore. Yeah, because it used to like it would say how they vote different. It was mainly focused on the federal and some state positions. Yeah. And would tell you how they voted on this issue, on this issue, and this issue. That would be nice. I knew As that. well as give you ratings from like a human rights campaign or Planned Parenthood because they all give their ratings for different politicians for different issues. Yeah, I need that. Yeah. So anyway, I, yeah, I'm usually. Like- I also, um, what I would do is go on Voter's Edge and it usually lists majority of the candidates. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the candidates will post like three positions that major positions they have um as well as they have links for all their websites and you can see the usually the big names for endorsements for them and they usually at least with especially the bigger um positions will list their campaign donations that would be nice to know i'd like to know what money is going to Mm -hmm. because that tells you a lot yeah anyway so um yeah so anyway that was a little uh we got off topic but anywho's there you go be politically active people it's important and it is important for animals yes because people who don't care about the environment just obviously don't care about the environment and it affects animals and all of us because everything affects everyone because it's the circle of life (laughs) anyway all right so moving along though casey has an article which is amazing to me y'all we have (laughs) recorded this before and i don't remember what this is about (laughs) Just by looking at the title, I don't remember what this was about. Oh, Oh, no, I think I do. I think I do now. Okay. All right. Let's see if I'm right. Let's see if I'm right. Okay. Go for it. No, I don't think I am because it says Euro News. Anyway, continue. Let's see. Okay. So one major problem with at least the ocean is uh, the fishing industry as it relates to seabirds because often... They will get entangled in fishing line, especially long line, which is a form of fishing where they just straight out literally miles of fishing line with hooks all along. Mm-hmm. And it tracks fish, catch fish, and then seabirds will come by, see the fish go down, they get entangled in the nets. And okay. 
drown and die. So I did forget what this was about, but now it sounds familiar. So continue on. Okay. So, and the fishermen also don't like this because then it damages their equipment. They lose fish and Mm -hmm. it messes up operations. Costs them money too. So in Portugal, there's this group that of conservationists that are making these things called scary birds, which is kind of like a kite um, and it's in the shape of a bird. Mm-hmm. And the purpose of this is to resemble a predator to scare away birds. And that way birds will not come by the fishing lines and they don't end up getting entangled in the fishing nets or get hooked. This is... Get hooked. Um, is that where that comes from? I guess that's where that comes from, huh? I would assume like so. Like you get hooked on something, it's like you're being fished. Why did that just occur to me now? <laughs> How long have I been on this earth? Anyway, um... I remember this conversation now because I told you about the plastic owls, mm-hmm. and you've never seen them. Yeah, I've never seen one them. One of my neighbors has them. Oh, really? Yeah, I was I was walking in the neighborhood, and I was like, oh, hey, there's one of those owls. And then they do have them at the park. Next time I go to the park, I'm going to find where it is. I think it's over by the Flamingos or something. I'm going to okay. find it and be like, Casey, go look at it. That makes sense because I remember they had a problem with their, I think it was the Caribbean Flamingos. Their chicks were getting picked off by owls. Yeah, so I think, so it, it, makes... I think it is over there. It's by the graders. I'm pretty sure it's on that mm-hmm. fence. I think. I'll have to go. Next time I go, I'll have to look and update All you. Right. But anyway, do continue now that I remember where we are. But yeah, yes. that's the project. So in Portugal, they're using these scary birds. And it literally just looks like the silhouette of a bird. And so it looks like a large aerial predator that's just hovering right around where above the water near the fishing line. And it scares away the birds. And it benefits fishermen because now they don't get their equipment damaged and lose fish. And it's helping endangered species because the bird there's actually quite a few of seabirds over in Europe that are endangered, and so this will help prevent them from getting killed by fishing industry. Good. Yep. And another thing problem that uh, sea conservationists are working on is uh, ghost nets, and basically that is fishing equipment that gets drift at sea and falls to the bottom of the ocean or out into the ocean, and trying to get remove that. And so they've developed this robot called Iris. It's like a little drone. It has these little claw arms that allows it to pick up the net and pull it up to the surface. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. The, the ocean is a very big place. So what yes. areas is this thing patrolling? Usually more coastal areas where okay. there's more major fishing. I'm just waiting to see if a shark is like, what is this? And like, tries to I would imagine it. a shark might just do an investigate in investigative bite yeah i don't know why i couldn't think of that word you were saying it you just gave up in the middle of it i forgot the ending okay (laughs) you forgot the ending so yeah investigatory that's another option maybe i don't know exploratory there you go that's that's the word that's what you were trying to get yeah because a lot of time because they don't have hands so they'll just do a little nibble to explore what are you and then move on (laughs) can you imagine if we worked that way (laughs) What is this? Okay, moving on. Yeah. Anyway. All right, so that's the scary bird story, right? Yes. Okay, great. So it is time for another dog breed, and I did not let Casey have any say into this. And I don't even think I rolled for this one. I'm pretty sure my choice on this was because this is still the Pacific Ocean. And this has Alaska in the name, and Alaska's in the Pacific Ocean. So there you go. So we are talking about the Alaskan Klikai, and they basically look like a mini husky. That's what they look like. They're adorbs. All right. So the AKC says that they are loyal, intelligent, and vigilant. And they are in the Foundation Stock Service Group, um, which I feel like is just the, like, we don't know where to put you. So you're going in this group. (laughs) Anyway. 
So they come in three sizes. So the height for the toys is 13 inches and under, 13 to 15 inches is the miniature, and 15 to 17.5 inches is the standard. Um, two, or excuse me, I can't read. Six to 12 pounds is the toy, 10 to 18 pounds for the miniature, and 16 to 25 pounds for the standard. And their life expectancy is 13 to 16 years. So a little bit about them. Let's get down to their history. All right, so the Alaskan Klikai have ancient roots in de or root descending from the numerous native dogs which have populated Alaska for thousands of years. Many of these dogs became not only loving family pets, but in the harsh environment of Alaska were crucial for survival for the tribal groups and nomadic people. They excelled at pulling sleds, hiking, hunting, tracking, and were early warning alerts for dangers such as wild animals or enemies approaching. One of the largest groups of native dogs that made up the base of what became known as the Alaskan Husky type of dog are the Alaskan Interior Village Dogs. Husky lines from Siberia, which were imported to Alaska in the early 1900s, were added to much of this hardy dog population as dog sled racing started to grow. They developed an intelligent, vigorous, and hardworking dog with a happy nature. The Alaskan Klikai breed we see today was developed in Alaska from these well-bred husky dogs by Linda Sperlin and her family, starting in the early 1970s, using a strict breeding program to select the somewhat smaller dogs with the type look she envisioned that also met her high standards for health, structure, and temperament. She carefully developed a companion-sized version of the Alaskan Husky with a very distinctive contrasting symmetrical facial mask and markings. Much like their ancestors, the Alaskan Klikai is adaptable to multiple lifestyles, traveling, hiking, sports, entertainment, therapy, and service, and most importantly, a loving companion dog for all ages. They are so cute, though. Yes, they are. Look at that puppy right mm. there. Look at his little face. Oh my gosh, he's so cute. I'm not used to seeing the white ones. All no, the ones I, I see are their black ones. Usually. I always say like dark, yeah. The ones that literally look like your standard husky. Yeah. But not like the red, like usually the, you know, gray and black type. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, so just a little bit about the breed here. They're saying it's a small size companion dog. It's energetic and curious, yet reserved with unfamiliar people in situations. And then they come in those three different sizes, of course, like we said. It is a small size companion dog with a smooth, agile, and well-balanced gait. A body that is well-proportioned in three sizes, of course, like we said. And with a top or level top line and a length slightly longer than height, the wedge-shaped head, erect triangle-shaped ears, well-furred double coat in three symmetrical contrasting color varieties, and a loosely curled tail reflects, reflects its arctic heritage. Um, you know what, though? I don't remember with these guys. Huskies, like, just whine and talk and carry oh, on. Oh, yeah? Yeah, they go off. I'm like, you could always tell them, like, oh, there's a husky mm -hmm. in there. But, like, I don't remember these guys. To be fair, I've only seen, like, two of them in person. <laughs> but mm. I don't remember these guys doing that. I don't either. Did I ever show you the video, by the way, of the husky that is just going off? And it's, like, titled, like, the caption is, like, we just went to get groceries. And he's laying on the ground, but he is, like, full husky. <laughs> I was just like, that is the epitome of a husky right Dude, there. And this honestly. is why I don't want them. <laughs> This is why I want my friends to have them so I can enjoy them and send them home. <laughs> yeah, I, I just remember like two most problematic dogs when I worked at a pet store. Huskies and German Shepherds. Really? I didn't have problem, trouble, <laughs> trouble with German Shepherds much. No. Well, Huskies weren't a problem. They were just loud. Mm -hmm. Anyway. So as far as their um, health things... Um, it says to, they're generally a healthy breed, responsible breeders screen breeding stock for health conditions, including 
patellar luxation, autoimmune thyroiditis, heart murmur, eye disorders, and factor 7 deficiency. Um, anyway, they say go from reputable breeders, yada, yada, yada. So the recommended health tests for these guys are the patella evaluation, the thyroid evaluation, factor 7 deficiency DNA test, ophthalmologist evaluation, and cardiac evaluations. I probably should have looked into what factor 7 deficiency DNA test is, but I didn't. So there you go. It's a genetic disorder that causes excessive bleeding. Your blood doesn't clock clot clot properly oh that's pretty bad Mm -hmm. um as far as grooming they're a double-coated breed with a short and dense undercoat and a longer outer coat of guard hairs which helps insulate them from cold and heat and also protect them from the sun um so while the undercoat is shed or blown twice a year shed enthusiastically (laughs) i'll never forget that one (laughs) anyway (laughs) um some owners quip that it lasts for six months at a time Anyway, so weekly brushings and combing help keep the coat and skin in condition um, and will help with the hair around the house. And then they also say, of course, trim the nails, all the usual stuff. Uh, Training, train every dog once again. Exercise. Um, They are medium high energy level, so keep them active. Basically, like hiking, they like doing all kinds of activities. So you can read all about this. Obviously, we'll link the article. The larticle? (laughs) Yep. We will link the article. So that is the Alaskan Klikai. I will say the pictures I have found so far do not do them justice. So just like go look at them yourself because they're real cute. But basically it's just a mini husky. They're so cute. Anyway. All right. So that brings us to our picks for this week, which I chose. And I guess I was in like a dreamy state of thinking (laughs) that like, oh, what if I have money someday and I can travel again? So... I chose the category, and it was Dream Destination in the Pacific Ocean to See a Wildlife Event. So what did you choose, Casey? I struggled. Okay. As usual. But I settled on seeing schooling hammerheads off the coast of Hawaii. Okay. Basically what happens, this is for uh, migration along with hunting. They, they will congregate in large schools, then come out primarily at night, and there's just a sea full of hammerheads swimming. That sounds cool. It's really cool. There's also a bunch of other smaller sharks because they also gather for safety because there's bigger outfish and sharks out in the sea that they have to safety in numbers to protect mm-hmm. themselves. Yep. But yeah, that I remember first ever seeing that on Blue Planet, the old one. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I want to see that so badly. Yeah, but, I know. That sounds cool. Yes. But I struggled picking it because there were some other things that I sort of done but haven't done or would like to do but seem too basic. <laughs> okay. Like one of them, there's a place called the Fairlawns up north. And the reason I didn't pick that is it's off of San Francisco Bay about a couple miles out. Yeah. But I've been to San Francisco, so I felt that was too basic. And because it's elephant seals out there in their breeding colony, and I've seen elephant seals already. That's not too big. I mean, I guess it's not a dream thing. Yeah. I guess that's true, but, like, it's still a cool wildlife event to go see. Yep. And then another one that would be cool to see is there's a place down in South America where there's this g- massive colony of seabirds, including cormorants, boobies, and shearwaters, and they go there for nesting, and when they take off to go fishing for the chicks, it takes a full hour for the whole area to get emptied. That is crazy. Mm-hmm. All right, well, that sounds cool. Do you want to see this? Oh, excuse me. Why? Um, do you want to see it from the air or from a boat? The sharks? Mm-hmm. I would. No, I want to be in the water. 
Well, then you're not going to appreciate how many there are. Yes, I can. I'll look up. Oh, you want to be down below? Yes. Oh, okay, okay, okay. That's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Also, feel like scary because you're like, I have to no. go up to get out of the water <laughs> and I have to go through all of you. <laughs> anyway, um, all right. Well, I chose, I wanted to see the little turtle hatchlings go out to sea. And a location for that is Todos Santos in Baja, California, Sur, Mexico. And I finally did look, and they are. <laughs> so they mostly are little, um, are little Pacific leatherback turtles, and they also have, um, they also help out with um, black sea turtles, which are kind of like a little offshoot, I guess, of green sea turtles. Anyway, they're so cute, and um, I have a link to the like rescue organization that will be on the website, of course. And there are cute little videos on the little baby turtles. Anyway, um, I just want to see a bunch of little hatchlings go to the water and just be like, oh no, go that way, go that way to the water, and hopefully you don't get picked off by birds and stuff immediately. And crabs. But they're just all the things. All the things are gonna eat you. Everything. Um, set everything. They're like, oh, baby turtle time. Yes. Buffet is open. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, but I just want to see it so bad. They're so cute. And this place, you can basically adopt a nest. <laughs> and they have their, like, greenhouse. And they'll go and they'll take the eggs from the beach, basically, and put them in the greenhouse all together. And then when it's time, then they'll, like, go release them out so that they don't get eaten and stuff. Um, or just affected by the weather and everything. But anyway, so, like, you can have your little, like, adopt a nest. And they'll say, like, what kind it is and what date it was found and yada, yada, yada. And then, anyway, so you can go volunteer and help little turtles. I know the Sea Turtle Conservancy has something kind of like that, mm-hmm. where you can adopt a turtle and you get to see the its GPS location because most of them are tagged with trackers. That is cool, see. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah, so that is the thing. I mean, there's a lot of things I want to see, but seeing a whole bunch of little baby sea turtles go out to the sea is probably my number one. Yes, because turtles are the cutest baby reptiles. They are the cutest. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a lot of baby reptiles are real cute. But turtles are pretty cute. Yes, they are. So, anyway. Um, so, yeah. So, that's what I wanted. All right. Well, those are our uh, dream destinations on the Pacific Ocean to see a wildlife event. Um, and that brings us to our Animal of the Week. It does. And our Animal of the Week this week is... The Blue-Footed Booby. The Blue-Footed Booby. Also, I should say this was the listener's choice. And I feel like this is, like, an animal that's not known, but it's also known. Like, I feel like everyone has heard of this, and they just might not know what it is. I'd hope they have heard it. I know, but I feel like it's, like, one of those things where, like, it's something that's weird, but everyone's still heard of this weird thing. Yes. Anyway, so tell us about the blue-footed booby. They're real cute, I think. Yes. So they're in the order Suliformes, and they come in the family Sulidae, and their scientific name is Sulinibuxi. Okay. <laughs> so their range extent ends... Uh, near the coast of Baja, California, down to Peru, as well as some around the Galapagos. They have a lifespan of about 17 years. They are about 81 to 86 centimeters tall and have a wingspan of one and a half meters. That is pretty big. Yes, it is. And they weigh only one and a half kilograms. Craziness. This is a species seabird, and as one should expect, they are predominantly piscivores eating a variety of fish, including anchovies, sardines, mackerel, and other small fish. There are actually two subspecies of blue-footed booby. One is found along the coasts of Central and South America, and the other is native to the Galapagos and is the larger of the two and has a lighter coloration. The blue-footed booby gets its name due to its very distinctive blue feet and the fact that it is a booby. 
Which also just bird people are crazy because they've got like titmouses are types of birds <laughs> and they just have the weirdest names for birds. I don't know where these people are coming up with these names. Biologists I think can they, be either fun or very basic. I think they were drunk or high. <laughs> so anyways, all birds in the genus Sula are called boobies, which includes six bird species in total, but excludes the Abbott's booby, which belongs to its own genus. Okay. Some people think that the name booby comes from the Spanish slang word bobo, which means foolish or clown or sometimes stupid. <laughs> Being in the Sulidi family, the boobies closest relatives are another group of seabirds known as the gannets, which contain just three species. The bri bright blue feet of the blue-footed booby are used for mating displays with males showing off in a high-step strut and the bluer the feet, the more attractive he is to the females. I want to see the high-tech strut. It's funny. Okay, I'm going to have to look for a video of that. This blue coloration actually results from the fish the birds eat. And if a bird eats less fish, then they will have a different shade of blue in their feet. Which helps the female choose the healthiest males to father her offspring by looking at their feet. Hence the evolution of a foot fetish. Right. That's what I'm going to have to do to make money. It's just starting <laughs> pictures of my feet. I've had people ask for me for it. Really? That's amazing. Uh, life's a joy. <laughs> I feel like, you know what? Great. Let's do it. Yeah. Anyway, continue on. This species is monogamous, so the pair will often meet up in the same nesting spot year after year on the rocky coast of islands in the Pacific, and this species will aggregate in large nesting colonies but maintain a good distance between nesting pairs. Okay, that's good. Both parents will share roles in rearing the chick, including taking turns incubating eggs while the other leaves to hunt for fish. The species has a long neck and streamlined bill that makes them excellent divers, and they have forward-facing eyes, which gives them great binocular vision for locating prey beneath the ocean surface when they are soaring way up high in the air. Okay. When they spot prey, they will pull their wings back, make them more streamlined for their dive, and plunge straight down into the water, sometimes diving from 24 meters in the air at speeds of up to 96 kilometers wow. per hour. I'm going to see how fast that is while he continues. <laughs> the blue-footed booby is also known to hunt in flocks of up to 12 individuals, with the leader of the group signaling when they spot fish, and they will dive down together to maximize the chance of each individual catching fish. There is sexual dimorphism in this species with females being larger, so they will dive more in deeper water and farther offshore than the males and go after a larger fish. The blue-footed booby is currently listed as least concerned by the IUCN red list, but their population is currently in decline. The Galapagos subspecies is being hit hard in particular currently. Back in the 60s, the Galapagos was home to nearly half of the world's breeding birds but declined to an estimated 6,400 back in 2012, wow. with only two sightings of birds with juvenile plumage. This dramatic decline in the population appears to be due to a shortage of food, especially sardines. They were particularly hit hard due to the El Nino in 1978 and 1990, 1997 and 1998. <laughs> sorry. The shifting in ocean currents reduced the upwelling of cold nutrient-dense water around the islands, causing a dramatic decline in the fish population. Even though this doesn't seem to impact the adults' mortality rate, it does have a significant impact on their reproduction, 
with many pairs not breeding due to the lack of food. This resulted in less chicks being hatched on those that did, um, did not go into the breeding population if the sardines do not return to Galapagos in higher numbers. Wow, okay. Some minor good news came in 2017 when a study used the same method as 2012 and found several hundred birds with juvenile plumage, but diet analysis showed little sign of any increase in sardine availability, showing that the subspecies still has a ways to go before returning to their historic numbers. All right. Poor little boobies. Yes. Also, I looked it up. So 96 kilometers an hour is almost 60 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. So there you go. So it's pretty fast. Anyway, all right. Well, um, Casey. Yes, Abby? What is the best way to avoid getting bird flu? See, I've heard this before, and you I have, still don't know. You have. That's the best thing. We've done these puns before. <laughs> oh, and my gosh. I have no clue. Get immunized. <laughs> ah, it's the best thing about having to do all this again. We still don't know. Speaking of still not knowing, next we have the uh, <laughs> the challenge. So, people, we have done this before, and I guarantee you I'm still going to fail this thing. I've had this exact test because we just decided we did not have the kind of time to have to come up with whole new challenges. Since our, our challenges are trivia-type based. And uh, so there we go. We're going to do this again. And I don't think I recorded how well I did last time, but I doubt I'll do much better. Okay. I think I did better than my usual stuff. Yeah. But it still wasn't great. I normally do 10 minutes, right? I think so. Okay. Because that's what's on my phone. Great. <laughs> anyway, so this is some turtle trivia turtle because trivia. initially, <laughs> when we this was near this. the time that it was World Turtle Day. Yeah. So we're going to test our turtle trivia. Yay! All right, are you ready? As ready as I'm going to be, which should be really ready, but it's not. All right, here Kay. we go. I have a pet turtle named Reggie. What species of turtle is Red-eared he? Red-eared slider. That is correct. We have talked about two animals of the week that were turtles. Name them. I should remember its name because we said it last time. It was a Chinese... <sighs> Gatsi River turtle, something like that. I don't remember its actual name. Um... Ganges? No, it's something like that. It's not the Ganges. That's an actual river. Um, also, it's not a river. I think it's a lake. But anyway, whatever. The, the turtle, I mean. Mm. Moving on. And then we've talked about um, as animal of the week was the leatherback. Yes, that yes. one's correct. That one is correct. True or false? The thing that distinguishes turtles from tortoises is that turtles live in water while tortoises are terrestrial. Okay, so this one I know the answer to because I do remember this from last time. False. That is correct. <laughs> Alrighty. The turtle shell is a hi- okay. The turtle shell is a highly modified part of the turtle's skeleton. Which part is it? Rib cage. That is correct. What is the largest turtle species in the world? Why am I second guessing myself again? I'm still second. I second guess myself last time. I'm doing it again. Leatherback. <laughs> that is correct. Yes. That's so weird. Why? There is only one tortoise species native to California. Which is it? Desert tortoise. That is correct. There is only one herbivorous species of sea turtle. Which one is it? Oh, no. I'm say the green sea turtle. That is correct. Oh, I didn't get that one right last time. No, you didn't. <laughs> Despite its large size, the leatherback sea turtle has a very nutrient-poor diet that consists mainly of what? 
Um, I think I got this one wrong last time. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say algae. That is incorrect. Okay. Got it wrong again. See? We don't <laughs> learn. Many turtles will go into a state of inactivity for extended periods of time. Oh, no. Similar to how some bear species do. And turtles, what is this called? Yeah, I definitely don't remember this. I'm just going to say hibernation because I don't remember what it's called. That's not correct. Mm -hmm. How did the green sea turtle get its name? Because of green blood. That's No, fat. It's fat. When <laughs> I had to cut into it, it was fat. Yes, that's correct. Green blood. <laughs> there actually are animals with green blood, though. It's crazy. The two largest tortoise species are found on islands. This is a phenomenon in evolutionary biology called what? Um, it's something gigantism. Island, insular gigantism? That is correct. Yay, I didn't get that one right last time. Nope. I got like a half point, I think. On yeah. It. Yeah. <laughs> Many turtle species are threatened by extinction. What is it about the turtles that makes them vulnerable to these kinds of threats? Okay, so I got this like a half point last time too because I said the whole the temperature situation <laughs> that affects the sex so they can't reproduce. But there's definitely something else. And do I remember what the something else was? No. Um, what makes them... What was the question again? What makes... What is it about turtles that makes them particularly vulnerable to these kinds of threats? Okay, so I'm still sticking with my, like, you know, the temperature thing. But isn't it that they develop, they mature later? So basically they can't reach the age of sexual maturity, maturity before they die. That is correct. Okay, great. Yeah, slow lifestyle or slow metabolism, okay. really. They are very slow, slow to mature. Okay. They go through life very slowly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's see. You, so my pet turtle's named Reggie, and yeah. he is a red-eared slider. Mm -hmm. The two turtles that were animals of the week was the leatherback sea turtle mm -hmm. and the Yangtze giant softshell turtle. Oh, I didn't say softshell this time. I was like, you gave yeah. me like half a point last time. Yeah, I got half that right. Okay, yeah. And the thing that distinguishes turtles from tortoises is that they live in water while tortoises are terrestrial that is false the difference is that tortoises are digitigrates they walk on their toes okay. and turtles are plantigrates and walk on their feet so we're plantigrates yes we are unless you're dancing on points in ballet <laughs> but then you're not walking yep and the turtle shell is a high modified rib cage that is correct the largest turtle species in the world is the leatherback sea turtle. You got that correct. The only tortoise in California is the desert tortoise. And the only herbivorous sea turtle is the green sea turtle. Despite its large size, the leatherback sea turtle has very nutrient-poor diet that consists mainly of sea jellies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dang it. Many turtle species will go into a state of inactivity, which is called brumation. Brumation, yeah. Mm -hmm. This is going to be my new myrmecophagus. <laughs> I'm impressed you still remember that. Yeah, I'm never going to forget it now. <laughs> All right. So green sea turtle did get its name from its green fat. And the two largest species are found on islands, and this is due to a concept known as insular gigantism, where small species, when they're on islands, get huge. But then also they have the opposite of that, where some species get small. Yes, that's insular dwarfism. So weird. That's because that's what are traditionally small animals. I mean, large animals get small on islands. It's so, it just goes either way. Yeah. 
just wh- whatever you normally are, you're going to be the opposite on an yep. island, apparently. Great. Which is how you get tiny foxes on Catalina. Yeah, I'll go see them. <laughs> All right, so what was my total score this time? Let's see. You got, you only missed two and a half. So. Math. My fascinating math time. I can do integrative calculus, but I can't do this math in my head. <laughs> it's fine. Well, how many questions was it? Twelve. I forgot how many I got right. <laughs> okay, I'll let you Nine do Nine and a half points is what you got correct. Okay. That's a 79%. Okay, I moved up, because I think last time I was at like a 70 yep. or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, that's amazing. Great, well... Uh, you would think we'd know it because we did it last time. So, but we don't. It's okay. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of episode 80 again. <laughs> As always, we're your host, Allie. And Casey. And we will catch you on the next episode of the Animal Addicts Podcast.